0: Well, I got a question for you. Are you paid for your time or for your work? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. We've got a lot of interesting questions today. You know, here we are heading into May already, trucking through a new year, and a whole lot of changes are popping up. I talked to a gentleman yesterday who's been one of the principal founders of a business, has been there for 23 years, and the board just brought in a new CEO who's a young buck, and uh, causing a lot of unrest there you know things happen even in things where we think we've got some security built in things do happen well i threw out there as a thought provoker coming into the show today are you paid for your time or for your work that's an interesting dichotomy and we're going to look at that have somebody had us a particular question related to that here's some of the others we're going to be looking at dan can i make a living as a travel agent and would you recommend I start a high-end luxury car rental business? Well, you know, I'm a car guy. I'd love to talk about that one. And somebody says, yes, we are teaching life skills in public schools. I made a comment a couple weeks ago that, uh, unfortunately, we aren't teaching the kind of things in schools that kids really need to know to make them successful in life. And I had some teachers call me to task on that. And then the question related to my opening comment Somebody says, how can I break my employees from the idea of hourly pay? I'm going to use as a quotation today. This comes from, well, I'll I'll let you guess for a minute. The quotation is this, choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. You know, one time years and years ago when I was on live radio, I used that as a question and said, you tell me who who quoted that, who that comes from. And we gave him some kind of a gift package. Well, the interesting thing is, if you look up that quotation, it's attributed to three different prominent individuals. One of those being Confucius. So that that's probably the most common. Choose a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Confucius. But we also find it attributed to J.C. Penney and Henry Ford. Well, just the way that good quotations go, they uh you know, we we joke about it a lot, you know. I I hear something and I say, "You know, I heard my buddy Dave Ramsey say, boom, bum, boom, boom, The next time I say, well, you know, I heard somebody say one time and I say it again. And then the third time I say, you know, this is what I always tell people and it becomes my own. Now I'm not saying that's a good pattern, but that happens a lot. Quotations get recircled again and again and again, and you find them being attributed to different people out there. Well, let me give you a quick update here on some success stories. Barb Barber, one of our coaching mastery students who's really doing great, work uh, with elderly care and but she's also a 48-day seminar facilitator and she put up a note this says, i held my first seminar last night there are about 16 people in the class they're pretty excited about it and she says thanks everyone the material is so encouraging to people i saw lots of my class members yesterday at church they all said something about how encouraged they are learning to think in a new way about work so she goes on you know, it talks about some of the things that are happening in that class, but her first class was 16 people. So we're hearing from more and more people. Certainly, if you have an interest in presenting the 48 Days Seminar, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, you, can, you can go to 48days.com slash side and get information there. If you have any questions, certainly just email us. We'll get information to you about that. Now, Alex Barker put a discussion up. In 48days.net, it says, Do you want to make an extra thousand dollars a month? Now, it's a very direct kind of thing. He's not just saying, Do you do this? And if you're lucky, you no, know, he's saying he needs a salesperson. He needs a salesperson. And what he's looking for is a salesperson to sell ads for his podcast. He's got a rocking podcast, doing really well on that, and getting enough downloads. And that's the way it goes. You get enough downloads. You really need about 10,000 downloads per episode to get the attraction of advertisers. But he's at that point and he wants somebody to be making calls, setting up advertisers for him and shows a commission schedule where he could make a thousand bucks. Now the interesting thing about this is I've watched Alex develop over the last really two to three years. He wrote himself an email three years ago stating some of his doubts about his ability to really be successful with the business that he was developing. This online business, selling information you know, coaching, doing, podcasting, and so on, some of the things that I do as well that you hear us talk about here. Well, he wrote himself a note just kind of outlining his, his fears and concerns and doubts about that. But he also just put up a note that he's now solidly at the $10,000 a month mark. So he, he tracked his own fears about developing it and has been very open about his success and now shares you know, exactly what he's doing. And he's got some courses, things that he's doing, but it's at the $10,000 a month mark, and we're congratulating him for that, and all of the rest of you who have taken action on things that you're doing, love to hear those stories, obviously. We're going to just squeeze this in here and go right into a whole lot of questions, but we do love hearing those success stories. I mean, there's so many of you. Chet has a brand new book out, the Amazing Life. I want to tell you more about that. I just ordered a copy. don't have it in my hand yet, but we have so many people that are producing new courses, new books, getting traction, going through that two to three year startup period, just like Alex did, to get to that level of success. Love, love, love hearing those stories. If you got one, just shoot it to me. Ask Dan at 48days.com. Love to share your story right here. Well, let's go into the questions. Anthony, we, we had an online Zoom call last night with some of the uh, 48days.net people anthony asked a question there and then he elaborated on it in a blog post that he put up or forum post he put up in 48days.net and the question was how do you collaborate without competing for the same audience i love the question and he asked it of me you know how do i collaborate without competing for the same audience You know, it's really an interesting question because the old model in business always was, you know, competing, crush the competition, man. If you're a realtor, you want to crush everybody else who's a realtor in your town. If you're an insurance agent, you want to shut down everybody else who's an insurance agent. Well, that's pretty much old, old antiquated thinking. I mean, the new word in business for success is collaboration, not competition. And I talked in the call last night about the fact that my greatest successes have come from helping other people do exactly what I do. Now that may seem counterintuitive, but let me just kind of explain that. So I had people who were showing up, you know, saying, wow, I'm an author as well. How did you do what you've done with 48 Days to the Work You Love? Well, I not only leveraged that into a New York Times bestseller, you know, sold millions of copies. Created a whole lot of income and also leveraged the brand into a whole lot of other things that I do. Well, I would tell people, I tell them everything that I've done. But one of the things that I have as kind of a business mantra, you've heard me talk about, if three people ask me the same question, I develop a product to deliver. Now, that's not being manipulative, but it's just economy of scale. So if I have 10 people that are asking me, How did you do what you've done with 48 days? I'm thinking, Let's just get them all in a room together where I can tell everybody at the same time instead of having to tell the same story 10 times over. So we created Right to the Bank, a live event that we did for four years and loved doing that. You know, then we had people saying, how can I develop as a coach like you have? You know, will you help teach me how to be a coach? And I'm like, sure. Let me tell you what I've done. Well, after doing that multiple times over and over and over again, we developed our coaching with excellence event which you hear us talk about. It's extremely successful for us. We do it three times a year. Got one coming up here, May 12th and 13th. I'd love to see you there if you're interested in coaching, but it's a way that I leveraged people asking me about coaching. And so I teach other people how to be successful coaching. At this point, I don't do personal coaching anymore. The coaching that I do do is coaching coaches how to be successful in their coaching business. So I saw them wanting to be coaches, not as competition, but as a new opportunity by just framing it a little bit differently. But all of the question that Anthony posed, and uh, it's just one of those things, you know, sometimes we hold on to our ideas, we hold them close to our chest. We don't want anybody to know our idea, our secret, and we're going to spring it on the world and hope we make money with it. I share ideas so readily, and I told people last night, ideas are a dime a dozen. There's really no value in an idea in and of itself. I don't care what it is. The value is in the implementation and very few people are going to put in the time and effort. I can have an idea about the next hula hoop or Frisbee. I mean, something really revolutionary that's really going to be just an astounding product. I can tell that to everybody I meet for the next 30 days. What I'm going to get is a whole lot of input from people as to how to make that idea better or to recognize fatal flaws that I've maybe been overlooking. The risk of having somebody take that idea and do something other than me is so extremely low. There's much less risk in telling people the idea because I can benefit from their input than there is in keeping the idea for myself afraid that somebody else is going to steal it. Well, well, Hey, a couple other things. John Henderson has a great post up in 48 days.net about how to guest post like a pro. I mean, I tell people often, if you want to start to have a voice of your own, it's very, very slow to just do a blog a week on your own site and hope that people ultimately find you. But you can borrow the audience of other people by having really great content that you get out there as guest post on other people's blogs or in magazines, newspapers, newsletters. And John tells you how to do it. Now, I'm going to recommend you go look at his post. It's very well done. How to guest post like a pro. Because I get things like this. Just this morning, as I was putting together my notes for the podcast, I got a note. Hey, I'd like to ask Dan. I was wondering if I could post an article on your site. Here's the link. That's it. I mean, what an unprofessional approach. And I get those multiple times every day. Here's an article. I'd like you to put this on your site. Well, it's my site. And as much as I want to encourage the success of other people, I don't just throw things up there because somebody threw it my way. So if you want to have something on my site, build a relationship with me, comment on my blogs, comment on the podcast, you know, come to some of our events. I mean, those are the ways to put yourself on the radar. So then can you put yourself in a position this week? I had a a guest post up by Kingsley Grant. I've known Kingsley Grant for probably five years now. I would run into him at other events. He came to events here. He's been through our coaching with excellence program and our coaching mastery program. He's proven himself as a successful coach. I hear testimonials from people where he has spoken or people he's coached. Wow. Yeah, I'll take somebody like that and share their content any day of the week. Anyway, great, great stuff. Now, last week, I shared a note from Troy. Roy Stone King, because he said he was a runner who wasn't really great, but he'd love to use his love of running in some way to create some kind of a business. And I talked about David Foster, the music guy, the hit man he's called. You can look that up. You know, he, And I talked about the fact that David says he was not a really great musician. If he had been a little better as a musician, he would have been just another anonymous guy sitting in the orchestra. But because he wasn't that good, he instead decided he would help really good musicians be even greater. And so he's worked with people like Celine Dion and Josh Groban and Andrea Bocelli and lots of others. But I talked about that. Well, Troy thanked me for that and said, yes, he's going to take that approach. He said it also has gotten both of them thinking, he and Sally, they've been here before for events. They're going to come back to Innovate. So they signed up for Innovate. Now, I love that. So here he has an idea. He wants to help people who are runners be better, but he's not sure how to shape that idea. So they're going to come to Innovate. Innovate's the event we've got coming up May 26th, 27th. I mean, it, we're going to have an absolute blast. I've been working this week on the workbook we're going to have for that. I'm thrilled, excited about the content we're going to be able to share with people about that. Going to have my son, Jared, and his entire family, uh, which includes his a beautiful wife, Ailea, uh, their little girl Sersha, and their 8-month-old twins, and we're going to talk about how they've created the creative life that they have. They live on the beach in Costa Rica. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, Jared didn't go to college. I mean, doesn't have some unique set of credentials behind his name at all, but they just live the dream life that a lot of people talk about. So we're going to have them talk about that. Bob Baker's going to be here with he's the author of The Empowered Artist has a better understanding of how to turn your art into making a living than probably anybody I've ever met. Ken Davis will be here. Christian comedian who's made an extremely good living as a comedian, as a clean comedian speaking in churches. I mean, how do you do that? Well, yeah, I'm going to have him talk about that. Of course we'll have my wife, Joanne and my granddaughter, Claire are going to be talking about, I've given them 18 minutes like a Ted talk to talk about how they developed their idea. They were walking around the property one morning, saw Clara's dog chase a squirrel up a tree. And Joanne said, what if it were possible for a dog to climb a tree? And they went on from there, started rhyming and turned that little rhyming into a beautiful book that's being published by Morgan James Publishing. It'll be released in October, but we have copies that we'll be sharing with people, showing them how that book came to life at Innovate. Now, some of the other things, you know, when when we talk about innovate, it's how do you take ideas and do something interesting? You know, the name Johnny Appleseed. I mean, we we have songs. Golly, we just sing songs to our little kids. Johnny Appleseed actually we had one that was kind of a prayer. Johnny Appleseed. Oh, man. Anyway, Johnny Appleseed had a lot of land. You know how he got his land? In 1792, then the government decreed that anyone who planted 50 apple trees and 20 peach trees could claim 100 acres of land. So John Chapman, that was Johnny Appleseed's real name, John Chapman planted orchards throughout the Midwest. When the trees matured, he sold the land and he became extremely wealthy as a land baron. But that's how he got his land. The government said if you plant 50 apple trees and 20 peach trees, you could claim 100 acres of land. Think about that. I mean how cool is that just as an interesting idea now that's not true right now anywhere that i know of but there are comparable ideas all around us my goodness we'll be talking about uh, athena the bronze statue of an eagle that we got sculpture of an eagle that we've got here in our property and how scott steerman brought that to life right here in the property and what it means to have this eagle coming off a branch that's the whole Innovate concept, the 48 Days concept, a dream, plan, act, get in the game. I'll walk you around, show, my, show you my old 1939 Plymouth truck that is creating an artistic area for me. I just this weekend put in an ooga horn. Mike Sparks, who's a Tennessee state representative, gave me an uga horn. I don't know if you remember what those were like, but uh, used to be in the old classic cars and he gave one me it, and i installed it in that truck now the truck doesn't run there's no battery in it but there is now there's a little marine battery in there i installed the ooga horn and i put the horn button a button for the horn where the grandkids can walk up step on the running board of the truck reach in through the open window and hit a button and this is what this is what they're going to hear So there you go, an Oglehorn. I mean, just a creative idea. And we'll show you the bridge that we just had built here in a the property. There was a 10-foot section of our sidewalk that was pushed up, bulged up about six inches because of tree roots underneath. Now, obviously, anybody looking at that would recognize that as a problem. But now stick with me here. Is it a problem or is it something else? our kids will be quick to tell you that when, when, they were growing up, we didn't allow problems in our household, but we had a whole lot of opportunities for solutions. So in looking at that sidewalk that bulged up, I told Joanne, we have an opportunity for a solution. So instead of taking the sidewalk out and trying to match the existing sidewalk, that's been there for now 17 years, that'd be hard to do. We decided that we would build a little bridge so now you come up our sidewalk and you walk over this real gentle little oh, oh, going up and coming down over the bridge. It's got stone sides and it's absolutely gorgeous addition to our property. You Look over the little water feature and see that bridge. I'll do a blog on that. So I'll put out some pictures of that. But if you come here or innovate, certainly I'll show you the bridge. You know, another thing I noticed this morning, our mulberry tree has thousands and thousands of mulberries on it now we hear the little song you know here we go around the mulberry bush but really mulberries are grown on trees we have a very large mulberry tree and with the way the mulberries are developing i think that by may and 27th we're going to have mulberries and we'll walk down there it's right on the nature trail that goes back through our woods we'll walk down there and stuff our faces if we're lucky enough to have them in bloom or fully developed at that particular time. Now, here's a question from Polly. Interesting question. Uh, I'll play it for you, and then we'll talk about it. Hi, Dan. It's Polly. I'm interested in starting a side company uh, as a travel agent, and I'm wondering, are they a dying breed and I'm wasting my time? Or is this something that could be exciting for me and my family providing us with some much-needed residual income, and the opportunity to travel, maybe at discounted or bargain prices. Let me know your thoughts, and if you have any resources you could connect me with or thoughts on the matter, that would be great. Thanks, Dan. Well, Polly, I love your question, and I think you're – what it requires is to look at that industry in a new way. So we can take a traditional travel agent. So, sitting there by the phone, hoping somebody calls because they need a flight to San Diego, and you book it, and you get a tiny, tiny percentage of that fee from the airline industry. That has changed a lot. Many of the airlines don't have those kind of fees connected with booking anymore. The airline industry has become so competitive, they make it so easy for people to deal with them directly. And it's been really challenging there's a whole lot of travel agents that have gone out of business because that old model changed however whenever there's a change there's the equal seed of new opportunity now you may recognize that that's a principle directly from think and grow rich the old 1935 classic book by napoleon hill whenever there's change there's equal seeds of opportunity so look at the travel industry in that way now we do a cruise every other year as a group, group cruise. The next one's coming up. The ultimate advantage is going to be February, 2017. We already have about 40 people booked for that. We will max it out at hundred. Um, we, we're just now putting up information on a website about that. You can check it out if you want to see it, but we do that cruise, the ultimate advantage. You can go to 48 days.com click on live events. And we do have a link there. It's not really complete yet, but there are people that are calling our cruise agent all the time to get booked on that cruise. His name is Chris Niemeyer. His site is Like-Minded Travels. Now, here's what it says on his site. And this is what I want you to think about, Polly, when you're thinking about being a travel agent. Chris recognizes the power of being a travel agent is to do groups If he does a hundred people where I do the promotion, they're spending significant amount of money on a cruise. Yes, he does get a nice commission on the back end. And all of a sudden he has a hundred people going. Yes, that's very, very profitable because of the size of our groups. Chris will come with us as well. So he comes along to make sure everything goes smoothly. It's a great benefit for us. And he gets to come for free but his like-minded travels.com. You can go there and check it out. And he says he is creating travel experiences for like-minded communities. We partner with and support popular authors, podcasters, bloggers, leaders, and organizations to create fun travel events for their fans. So that's his focus. Yes, he's a travel agent, but he's not looking for just that one person where he has to spend two hours talking to them and they book a $400 flight. no, he works with groups. So he does group cruises and we send a whole lot of people to him who are authors, podcasters, bloggers, leaders of organizations who book cruises with him. That's the way you approach it. Just see an old industry, but see it in the way that the new direction is going. Now, Melvin says, this is kind of lengthy. I'm going to just give you the synopsis. He said, I'd like your help with My thinking around where I'm at, open to your suggestion. My wife and I operate a growing, successful, medium-sized janitorial business. Now, what he talks about is that he'd really like to be a coach, but because the business has grown so significantly, he really hasn't had time to develop his coaching business on the side. He mentions repeatedly in here, another means to it and for the janitorial is that it's getting us out of debt we're so close to being debt free. We can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel In six months or less we'll be debt free while we're making progress financially with our current business. I feel like it's actually sucking the life out of both of us. I want to be clear here. I'm ex- extremely grateful to God for the provision and business and prosperity. I'm being so careful to not be complaining about what God has blessed us with. Now it's really interesting. He developed the way he develops this in a very lengthy post. I appreciate all the information there, Melvin. I think we have to be very careful about killing the golden goose. I mean, I encounter this a lot where people have a business where it's going extremely well or a job where it's going extremely well, but there's just that kind of sense of unrest that there's something more out there and they really have itchy feet to get out there and do something else. Now, I'm big on making a transition plan on identifying what would the ideal be three years from now what would that look like and then what do you have to do starting today to bring that into reality i mean i'm big on that and i'm big on making changes but i also think you do need to be very sensitive to the idea that you're obviously serving people well you're filling a need you're serving people well taking care of your customers and your janitorial business is thriving it's growing and thriving. Now you've got several options. You can grow it significantly and decide at some point you're going to sell it. I mean, that's a a business where you have real equity, where you can sell the business and maybe give yourself a nest egg and a cushion in order to make a transition into the next thing. But I also think with coaching, it's something that you can develop on the side. I mean, I'm working with somebody right now where we carved out 10 to 12 hours a week. She's very busy as a very respected teacher. She has a three hour a day commute. So she doesn't have a whole lot of time. And what we're looking at is 10 to 12 hours a week. And I've told her that if she's consistent about the 10 to 12 hours a week investing in her business, I think that she can move it forward. And in 90 days, really have a business that she's ready to move into full time. So if you're, if you've been positioning yourself as a coach and not getting traction there, then be realistic about why is that not happening? Why? It doesn't take a whole lot to position yourself and spread the word about being a coach. If that's not happening, why is it not happening? Would it really develop if you spent 20 hours a week in that rather than five? Be realistic about that. Don't position yourself or put yourself in a position of desperation where you kill the golden Goose, the janitorial business you've got, and you don't have anything to replace the income on the other side. Now another thing you could do with a business that's running, as you're describing, it's taking a lot of managerial skills and time. You could bring in a manager where you sacrifice some of the possibility some of the uh, profitability, but you still maintain ownership. So give yourself some more time to develop coaching business on the side, but I would say, give yourself where you're develop, where you're devoting 10 to 12 hours a week consistently. And if in 90 days you aren't generating $3,000 a month in your coaching business, then I think there's some other challenges that you need to be realistic about. Now, Ronnie says, we all know how much you love cars and how much joy being on the hunt is for you. That's right. I tell, you know, Joanne knows that I'm never happier than when I'm looking for a car. Because I scan you know, eBay and Craigslist and cars sitting around town, I talk to dealers. I just love the process. So, anyway, Ronnie's question is In a market like Houston, Dallas, LA, and similar cities, could a small operation of higher end luxury car rentals work? Not a huge fleet, but just a few cars like Mercedes, BMW, Cadillac, like Audi. I'm a car guy myself and see it as a fun way to own a few nice, nice higher end cars and have them pay for themselves and then some. Could you see a small timer getting into this with two to three cars in the beginning and making this work? I know there's competition out there already, but could a little guy carve out a niche here? Be curious if you thought this was a good idea and how you would do it. Yeah. in as much as I am a car guy, I love the idea, Ronnie, but I would not do it. Because I think it's really challenging to do it on a small scale. Now there's some guys, some friends of mine that here in Nashville are doing that with Music City Dream Cars. And I, I love what they're doing. And I've talked to them about I've talked to them about rentals, maybe having a car that I just park here in the property like when we have a live event, just as kind of a, a motivator. But they have a Ferrari. Now during the weekend for a single day, it's $1,090. That's the rental for one day for a Ferrari. Or you can rent it by the hour for $225 an hour. Uh, let's see, what else do they have? Well, you can get a Corvette Stingray and you can get it for $590 for a weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, 590 bucks. Brand new Corvette Stingray. They got a Rolls Royce Ghost. Now, it's like the Ferrari. It's a thousand bucks for a weekday or week, weekend day um, or 225 bucks an hour. Uh, They've got a Bentley. I mean, golly, I love all these things. Now, here's the deal, though. Because it is a profitable market, all the big players are involved in that as well. I mean, you can go to Avis and Enterprise. You know, they have luxury cars as well. They know the market. They have deep history in the market. They know what the margins are. They know the liability, what insurance they have to have and all that. It's an industry I would not just stick my toe in as a small player having two or three cars, I think there are unexpected things and chances for losing your shirt uh, pretty significantly there. I wouldn't do that. Now, having said that, years ago in California, when I was selling cars, I saw the opportunity to rent motorhomes and I did exactly what you're talking about. I purchased a motorhome, purchased a new Southwind motorhome, 25-footer for myself, and then I booked it scheduled for all the times that we wanted to use it as a family and then made it available for rental on other times. That was extremely profitable to do that. But now I had a facility. I had a lot of road frontage right there on Catella Avenue in Anaheim, California. And I ultimately had 18 of my friends who I had do the same thing where I bought the motor homes, I guaranteed them that I would make the payments form and all maintenance, have it ready for them anytime they wanted to use it. And all those costs would be covered just by the rental income we would get on the off times and they would have a really nice tax deduction at the end of the year. So there's ways to do it. I don't, I don't want to just say, now nah, I wouldn't do it. But from, from my limited viewpoint on the exotic cars, yeah, it's not something I would just stick my toe in. If I was going to do it, I'd get into the car rental business big time. But there again, I think it's a low profit, low profit business because there are some major players in there. As I talked about just with the travel agency, there's probably a unique way to look at it that I'm overlooking and uh, I'll, I'll think about it. Maybe circle back around to that at a later podcast. Julie says, Oh, this is the deal. Now, now here's, here's what happened. Julie, I read her question a couple weeks ago, probably. And she said that she wishes that her kids were learning things in school, you know, real life skills and I talked about the fact that, you know, kids aren't learning parenting, cooking, nutrition, cleaning the house and so on, those kind of things. Well, I had some teachers call me out on that. Uh, Catherine Graham was one. Uh, she said, um, trying to respond to what Dan said in response to Julie's question. When she asked about life skills for her kids, Dan said that it was too bad. These things weren't taught anymore. But I want to let him know we are alive and well here in family and consumer science, which used to be called home ec. All the career and technical education courses in high schools teach skills, both technical and soft skills, in order to prepare students for the real world. In just my Foods One classes, I teach nutrition, food safety, sanitation, meal planning, preparation, etiquette, table setting. In Foods Two, students can get the Serve Safe certification, which is valuable in securing food service positions. We also cover food business, entrepreneurship. I just wanted to let Dan know it's out there. Love the podcast, love the book, the website, all the ideas I get and so on. Well, thanks so much, Catherine, for your input and calling me out on that. Believe me, I'm delighted to hear that those kind of real life skills are being taught. I don't observe that much and see kids being taught things that you can quickly access just through uh, Google or Siri that uh, I don't think it requires brain space to store that information. And the real life skills that I wish they would be taught, I don't see being done much. So I'm delighted to hear that it is happening. Believe me. I want to support that by all means. Okay. Now this comes from. Okay. This comes from, this comes from Sarah who is asking about her husband has been in EMS, he's been in Emerging Medical Services for years and years, and he's developed a course, he's developed a really unique skill set in reading EKGs in a particular kind of test that can be done in the field. So our question is about turning that into a course that could be the part of continuing education that's required for EMS people, and wondering if there's a way to do that. Absolutely. I mean, anything that's being used for continuing education was developed by somebody, There's not some unique governmental agency that develops a content and only that is approved. No. So I already sent sent you a link on that. But the organizations are the Committee on Accreditation of Educational Programs for the Emergency Medical Services Professions, a long acronym, but that's one. And then there's there's another one that is the continuing education coordinating board for emergency medical services. But there, there are two major accrediting organizations out there for courses that are approved for continuing education credits for emergency medical personnel to take. Absolutely. You can submit something to them. I mean, I can submit anything that we do as part of continuing education. We had a course and we wanted to get it approved for continuing education can do that we can submit that get approval and then offer that where people pay us but they also get credits so there's a double kind of bonus for everybody involved absolutely pursue that sounds like your husband's in a great position to move forward with that this comes from richard who says for over a year now i've been working at a frustrating unfulfilling job that shows many symptoms of a toxic environment I'm seriously contemplating the idea of quitting my job and finally taking some time, probably about three to six months to buckle down and learn site development development and programming. Over the years, I've dabbled, enjoyed it, and I recently outlined some intermediate training and courses I can take so I can start producing a small portfolio and prove that I have the proper skills. I know the old saying is you should run to a new job, not run away from an existing one. However, what I seek involves a few dedicated months. 10 hours per day of work. I'm in my late twenties, no debt and have over one half years salary in the bank. Should I abandon job security today in hopes of finding fulfillment in the future? Well, you've, you've opened up some really great questions in that Richard and multiple ones in your brief question there. Should you abandon job security today in hopes of finding fulfillment in the future? Well, I'm not opposed to that and you've set yourself up well, you're young, you don't have any debt, you've got half a year's salary in the bank, and you're in a great position. If you want to do that, do it and have fun. However, I do not believe that it requires several months of 10 hours a day to position yourself as somebody that can offer services in site development and programming. I think you can do that in much less time than that, and without again, killing the golden goose without sabotaging the job security or the job and the income that you have now. I think you can do that. I think you can, in six months, take that same six months, but again, being young, not married, no children, my gosh, devote 10 to 15 hours a week. We've got a lot of stories about people who have done that. There's one I wish I could bring the details to mind here, but we've got a lot of stories about people who have done just that. But you dedicate 10 to 15 hours a week for six months to site development and programming, you're going to be an expert. You're going to know more than 99% of the people on the face of the earth in that area. And if you really do have the skills to position yourself as a go-to person there, you're going to be ready to go without having to take the time off. Now, it sounds like you may just want a vacation. And if that's true, hey, that's fine. Give yourself a vacation. But what I'd encourage you to do is to develop yourself as an expert in site development and programming, like you're talking about before you quit your job. So you already have a website up. You have some samples of your work. You have testimonials. You have all of that up before you quit your job, then quit your job for a month. I mean, give yourself a long vacation, take 30 days, go do whatever you want to just relax and then come back ready to fully engage with clients and be ready to roll. Now this comes from Tom it says I own a machine shop. In the Detroit area. This is a challenging question here. We need to unpack this a little bit. Tom says, I own a machine shop in the Detroit area. I'm a third generation machine shop owner, fourth generation small business owner. My question is how to change the paradigm of hourly wages for my employees. Everyone in our area with manufacturing pays by the hour. Many of my employees have been with the company 30 plus years. And a lot of them have worked in this industry 40 plus years. They get regular wages, then time and a half after 40 hours. When they need to earn more money, they ask for overtime. This is not a direct correlation to where that money comes from. That may, okay, may, let me just stop there and insert this. So there's not a direct connection, Tom is saying. This is a real critical point. to how much profit there is in the job, how much time it took them to do the job. All they know is they're getting paid for the job. The customer doesn't pay more or less i tom quote a price up front and regardless of overtime or regular time that is the final amount i receive the system is actually set up where i lose and they win with overtime absolutely fully understood i don't mind it's not a point of conflict but it seems backward however when i try to think of alternative ways to pay the guys i hit a wall If I made each guy quote his time and paid him that amount, then it would be a war where everyone is against each other. No harmony in the house. But if I tried to pay a base salary and then had incentives, it would create tons of extra work for me. As it is now, the guys do not see the sales amounts and they do not know if they were profitable or not unless I share with them. Typically, I might just say something like, I quoted 10 hours on this, but it looks like you took 20. Or I might say, good job on that one. You did better than I quoted. I've often thought, what if I broke the shop up and empowered the men to be self-employed entrepreneurs? Would we thrive as a unit better? But then I feel like most of the guys would run to a shop that would just continue to pay them hourly. What are your thoughts, Tom? Wow, that is the basis for an eight-hour workshop on how to reframe employees' thinking so they connect more to the results of what they do rather than just the time being paid for time is a broken business model now think about this when we think about henry ford in 1913 when he started the assembly line where he guaranteed people five dollars a day for working on the assembly line There was no requirement that they would do a particular amount of work. There was no connection to what if somebody, the car they produced was an absolute lemon and nobody wanted it. They just got paid for their time. And it started this illogical, irrational pattern of people being paid for their time rather than for the results of what they produce. That's what you're describing here. And yeah, it's totally built into the industry that you're in. People don't want to know that, well, you bid the job at $2,000, but now you're way over in hours and you're actually going to lose money on that job. No, I put in my time. You owe me for the time, even if the job cost us money as a company. I mean, we've seen where that's led. Look at what's happened to the auto industry in the United States. Those guys kept demanding more money. I put in my time. Nobody can live on $10 an hour. We want $23 an hour. And the unions helped them get that. Well, all of a sudden, we saw cars being built in other countries around the world. Have you ever heard heard the name Honda, Suzuki, Subaru? Yeah, Mercedes. Okay, yeah. Guess what? Because uh, those countries were having cars built where the labor wasn't so out of line with the product being produced. And American workers demanding more money per hour with no connection to the end result cost thousands and thousands of people their jobs totally because it just isn't a workable model. At the end of the day, people can only be paid on results and more and more companies are finding ways to do that. I mean, think about some of the things that we talk about here frequently. If I need a new cover for a book that's going to come out. There is not a chance in the world I'm going to pay somebody $45 an hour as a graphic designer to work in that. Not a chance. Not a snowballs chance. It's not going to happen. We're going to agree that a finished product, I'm going to pay $700 for it, let's say. Now, really, the way that I do that, the actual way that I do that is to put it out for competition on 99 designs. So I'll put up the kind of essential ideas of the book. Here's some kind of themes I'm thinking about. And I'll have 85 people that jump in the fray immediately say, Ooh, here's a design that I'm thinking of pick mine. And it's only the one whose work I pick that gets paid anything. So it's based on competence of the work and visual appeal. Of course, other things that go into that, but the one that I pick gets paid money. I love that system. And so do a lot of people that are providing services there. If you're really good, you're going to get picked. What a novel idea. That means if your work isn't really good, you're not going to get paid. Well, that comes all the way down. And more and more companies are trying to figure out how can they do this? But They need graphic design done or data input done or even customer service. They're figuring out ways they can pay for results that are produced rather than time put in. And it is, in fact, a very healthy model to do exactly that. Now, Tom, that, that's not a real core answer is how you can change that in a machine shop. Here is the, a counterpart to that as well. If you put your men in small teams and let them know what the bid is on a project, know that if they do a really good job at getting quality work out in a reasonable period of time, they're going to benefit from that. You've essentially turned them into entrepreneurs. The danger is if you do that and people really get it, they really see that, they're going to pretty quickly say, wow, why don't I just start my own machine shop? I know how to bid the job. I know how to control the hours going in. I'm going to just open my own machine shop and make this my own business. That's a challenge for a lot of people. I mean, that's something that Dave Ramsey and I've talked about, even at his company, he wants to create a very entrepreneurial environment for his people. And he does, where people are paid for results, not just time. This life is me the inevitable outcome of that is that some of those people decide, wow, I'm already an entrepreneur. These Rather than being so un- under somebody else's umbrella, I'm just going to go do it by own, myself. I've had the same so thing happen to me over and over and over, and over again. Even back when I had an auto accessories it's business, I trained a lot of people today. how to be entrepreneurs, and they went out and became competitors of mine. Not a big deal, heart. but we just have to realize that's part of the potential outcome of changing the mindset. The easiest way to control people is to pay them hourly. So if you can make the business work with that model, you're probably safest to maintain it by not enlightening them to the idea that their work is connected to the results. It seems like you're you're benefiting by keeping them in the dark and in some ways that's exactly what's happening. Well, lots of good stuff. Thanks for your questions. Keep shooting those into me at at 48 dayscom We'll integrate a whole lot more. Got a whole lot in the queue here that we'll get to this in the upcoming weeks. Hope show. to see you at one of the live events around Don't the country that I'll be yet. at. Look forward to meeting you there. Just saw a bunch of you at Social Media Marketing Jesus World. Love, love connecting with you there personally. Thanks for being part of this well, growing this community day. where we, in fact, are finding or creating it's work that is meaningful, day. purposeful, and profitable go, it's gonna take your whole heart, it's gonna take all you've got, to make the future you want, to change the future.